Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker. A duck walks into a bar and he says to the bartender, hey bartender, you got any grapes? And the bartender says, no, I don't have any grapes, this is a bar. And the duck says, okay. So he leaves the bar, he walks around the block, he comes back and he says, bartender, you got any grapes? The bartender says, no, I don't have any grapes. And the duck says, okay. He leaves the bar, he walks around the block again, hey bartender, you got any grapes? The bartender says, look, if you ask me that again, I'm going to nail you to the wall. The duck says, okay. Leaves the bar, goes around the block, comes back, hey bartender, you got any nails? The bartender says, no. And the duck says, ah, you got any grapes? I'm Rico Galliano. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan, and from APM American Public Media, this is the Dinner Party Download, the show that helps you win this weekend's dinner party. Our icebreaker this week came from author Jennifer Egan. Her book, Visit from the Goon Squad, won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction this year. Not the Pulitzer Prize for joke telling, however. It came Jennifer. from her child, she said. Oh, really? Her son gave her that joke. Yeah. Well, that's nice. He didn't write the book, though, <laughs> as, far as, as far as we know. And coming up, we chat with actor John C. Riley, also Birds Not Bombs, Umpiresses, and Dale Earnhardt Jr. Jr. But first, small talk. Talk. All week long, you've been hearing this. Clarence Clemens has died aged 69 after suffering a stroke. Chinese activist Ai Weiwei has been released on bail. We will bring home a total of 33,000 troops by next summer. Now for something you haven't heard, we are speaking with Corey Sika. He is editor of the current event website, The All. Corey, what story are you going to be talking about at your dinner parties this weekend? Uh, here over in New York, our airplanes, in short, are being attacked by flying animals. <laughs> Man. And a lot of them are geese, which are big, hefty critters. Wow. They bring down the planes, right? They get in the plane engines. They, every once in a while, as famously happened in the Hudson with everyone's favorite Captain Sully, one does tend to come down prematurely. So what are they doing about it now? The latest development is that we send humans out to kill the birds. Now, the good news about this is birds are actually very tasty, so not only do we kill them, we actually now get to ship them off to homeless shelters in places like Philadelphia so people can actually eat. I see. I like, I like stories like this. It's win-win. It's like that Real study win. when they found out like red wine was good for you. I love stuff the like that. The geese don't win in this scenario. <laughs> you know, they're, they know what they're doing. They're building up all that delicious fat. <laughs> in their bodies, they're into it. <laughs> That's right. They deserve it. Yeah, they somehow yeah. avoided the food chain for a long time. Although, you know what's going to happen. We're going to get rid of the geese, then the things that the geese eat are going to grow, and they're going to attack airplanes. Enormous grasshoppers. Breadcrumbs. <laughs> humongous breadcrumbs <laughs> oh. flying into our turbine engines. <laughs> Watch for it. Corey Sika, thanks for the small talk. Gents. And now, time for cocktails. Once again, we tell you something that happened in history, then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's like history is a little plastic paddle boat, which you're piloting on an amusement park pond filled with booze. That's a fun ride. <laughs> uh, first, the history. This week back in 1972, pro baseball notched up a historic first. And last, our friend Michelle Philippi is here with the story. You are supposed to get three strikes in baseball. Bernice Guerra got one. Bernice was born loving baseball. As a kid, she could bat harder than the guys. But she was a 36-year-old housewife before she suddenly got an idea to become the first female umpire. She headed to Florida for umpire school, and the trouble began. They had no dorms for ladies, so Bernice spent the six-week course in a motel. Then she signed a minor league contract, which was revoked six days later partly because the league found the player's language too salty for a lady. 
She called foul and sued for discrimination. Years later, she won, sort of. In June 1972, Bernice umped her first minor league game and then quit when she realized the other umps just wouldn't cooperate with her during the game. Later, she said, quote, I could beat them in the courts, but not on the field. Bernice didn't abandon baseball. She went on to work in PR for the New York Mets. Her umpire's uniform now hangs in the Baseball Hall of Fame. To this day, no woman has ever umped a regular season major league game. So that's the summer appropriate history. Now for a drink to pair with it, I am on the line with Larry Four. He is the bar manager at the Ravenous Pig in Winter Park, Florida, which is close by America's only professional umpire schools. So uh, what drink did this history inspire you to make? Well, what I did was uh, made a cocktail I'm calling Pastime. It's sort of a play on a classic cocktail called an aviation. Sure, the aviation with gin. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, what's in your drink? I wanted to make a drink, you know, a little bit lighter, a little bit more summer, as baseball is predominantly a summertime sport. And I did try to use as much American local ingredients as possible. Okay. Um, I do uh, carry a vodka here from Flagler, which is in uh, Palm Coast, Florida. Okay. And then I'm using a liqueur from Chicago called Hum. Um, the Cubs are one of my favorite uh, baseball teams, so I had to kind of give them a little bit love. Okay, but it's not clear to me that the Cubs understand baseball, so is that appropriate for... That's the uh, pain of being a Cubs fan. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe we can nullify the pain. What else is in the drink? Okay, a um, little bit of our house-made sour mix. Okay. All those components together, shaking everything there on ice, straining it into a rocks glass uh, full of ice, and then topping it with a little champagne. Yeah, and I noticed there's no chewing tobacco in this cocktail. No, no, I think that's best on the side. So, Rico, I asked Larry where they got the name The Ravenous Pig, you know, for the bar. Right. And he said they were looking for something, and I quote, masculine. Oh, buddy. Yeah, so yet another example of gender bias. Uh, well, although it's, it's what a woman might call a man. So in a way, it's gender neutral. Folks. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> you can send us an email and an e-female oh. to our website, dinnerpartydownload.org. Our guest of honor this week is actor John C. Riley. You have seen him in Oscar-winning films from P.T. Anderson and Martin Scorsese and broad comedies like Talladega Nights and Walk Hard. His new role is in the indie film Terry, which opens July 1st. And John, it is an honor. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I love your character in this movie. You're this sweet kind of straight-shooting vice principal who befriends this overweight, troubled kid was there a guy like this maybe in your own life? Not in particular, but I have had a lot of mentors over the years, and I did have a guidance counselor, which I also am in the story. My character is both the vice principal in charge of discipline and the guidance counselor, the person that you turn to in your hour of need. So, Reflecting our modern economy, I think. Yeah, maybe, maybe that was it. It was downsizing. But uh, I suppose he has a sweet quality. I, I certainly wasn't waking up every day when we were making the movies saying, how do I make this guy sweeter? If anything, <laughs> he's such a flawed mentor. He totally loses his cool with some of the kids. He's just really annoyed. And then with other kids, like this kid in the wheelchair, he's totally empowering and makes the kid feel like he's the coolest kid in class. Terry Thompson, there's two groups of kids who stand out here. Okay, there's the good-hearted kids, and there's the bad-hearted kids. And which one am I? Well, you strike me as one of the good-hearted ones, Terry, which is why I'm upset 
that we have to meet here today for reasons of discipline. Sit down, Markson! Sam! In the chair! There's something wrong with that kid. <laughs> All right, he's yelling there. But, I mean, he's still sympathetic to these kids. I mean, even the guy that he's yelling at there, he doesn't think he's a bad-hearted kid. Yeah. What I think is makes this story really special and original is it doesn't have a mean quality. I mean, I'm getting, at this point, worn down by the celebration of things mean, whether it's a judge on some reality television show judging a contestant in a really mean, kind of inhumane way, or whether it's, you know, a comedy of cruelty where, like, I, I just don't find meanness an entertaining or attractive thing to watch. My whole life I've tried to stay away from mean people <laughs> and tried to avoid being mean myself. You started off in dramatic roles. There was a point where you were in three dramas nominated for Oscars on, in the same year. But if I were to go on the street and ask like a random person, they would probably know you as a comedian. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Yeah, right now, The Man on the Street, you know, those movies are on cable TV a lot. What's in the zeitgeist at the moment is what people know you for. And the fact that those comedies that I made, I'm very proud of, make it a lot easier to accept. I think Talladega Nights and Walk Hard are some of the most satiric, subversive, intelligent comedy that's been out in like the last 10 years. So, I'm, And it was very, those were all very personal projects for me. I put a lot into those movies. Actually, one of my favorite of your roles is Talladega Nights. You were actually in Days of Thunder, the auto racing action movie which is basically what Talladega Nights is parodying. I don't think many actors get the opportunity to be on both sides of that equation. What was that like for you while you were shooting Talladega? It was great. It was taken with such reverence and sanctimoniousness, this whole NASCAR world, when we made Days of Thunder, that it was, I was like, oh, come on. It's just like people riding around in a circle really fast. Like, you're talking about the bravery and the courage of these people. It's like, you know what's brave? Someone who does fire rescue from a helicopter. Let's, you know, anyway, so... So you understood at the time that this is an eminently parodyable movie. Well, I remember the day when I... And, I, and Robert Duvall is one of my favorite actors of all time, but I remember the day when Robert Duvall had to deliver a monologue to the car that I thought, we have just stepped over the boundary of, <laughs> of something here when one of our greatest actors is being forced to deliver a monologue to a car. All right, we have two questions that we ask everyone on the show. The first one is, if we were to meet you at a dinner party, what question would you least like to be asked? Well, it's a two-parter. Someone will say, hey, you're an actor, right? Yeah. Were you in such and such a movie? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't like that one so much. <laughs> and you'd be surprised how often people do that. And they're just being honest. But it's like, you know, really? That's your lead-off question? You were in that movie, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't care for that. Okay, well, take care. <laughs> All right, our second question. Tell us something we don't know. Tell you some scintillating fact about myself. It doesn't have to be about yourself. It's like uh, Sally Hawkins told us that uh, crows recognize human faces and pass along that information to their kin. You know, crows can talk. How about that? Really? Yeah. I was at like a bird zoo, an aviary, I guess they call it. And there's one cage after another of parrots, okay? And then we get to this last cage with an enormous black crow in it. And a sign on the bottom says, hi, my name's Charlie. I can talk. And we're like, wow, 
who knew crows could talk and so everyone's standing around going hey charlie hey charlie charlie want a cracker hey charlie say something hey charlie hi charlie hello charlie come on charlie hey charlie what are you doing charlie 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 and the crow is just like looking in this weird bird-like way and then he's going caw caw looking at people and then finally after about 10 minutes of this everyone starts to like get dejected like this sign is a joke the bird doesn't actually talk and just as everyone starts to turn one of their shoulders away from the cage charlie goes who what when where why (laughs) as clear as a bell and everyone shocked turns back and looks to the cage and then he goes back to caw but now it sounds like he's saying the word caw not making a crow sound but saying caw Caw in crow means, yeah, that's right. So they're pretty smart birds. I concur. Whoever, who said that? Sally Hawkins, the British actress. Ah, good on you, Sally. Okay, so Brendan, just to recap. Okay. uh, Crows can recognize human faces. They can tell their kids about those human faces. Now we learn they can talk like people. It's really scary. Well, I don't know, man. Yeah, I mean, if crows keep it up, they'll just end up home on the couch. You know, like, <laughs> slap on a lap band, watch The Voice. It's more human than human. That's right. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, while you're there on the couch, you should check out our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash dinnerpartydownload. You can just slingshot yourself there via lap band. So we've met our guest of honor. Now for the main course, the part of the show where we learn about food. So Rico, you know how there's always a new drink in the beverage aisle that kind of claims to cure cancer and tastes good? and Yeah, that's called snake oil. <laughs> Not quite, but that's, that actually a, that's actually a really good idea. Right? Like artisanal snake oil, <laughs> free-range snakes. <laughs> We'd be all set. Yeah, totally. We could start a boot business on the side. Exactly. That sounds fun. But anyway, the buzzy beverage these days is called kombucha. Of course. I've had it. I like it. But I'm skeptical about whether or not it has all the health properties people say it has. You? Skeptical? (laughs) That's right. Believe it or not. I'm skeptical. It has not eliminated (laughs) my skepticism. So uh, I decided to investigate the drink. I paid a visit to the owner of Kombucha Brooklyn, which is one of a new breed of kombucha companies trying to push this drink into the mainstream. My name is Eric Childs, but uh, in these parts they call me Kombucha Man. Now, did you give yourself that name? No, actually I didn't. And, And let me just correct everyone. It's not Kombucha Man. I'm not a superhero. I'm just a chill dude who hands out booch. See, right away you're using this phrase booch, and I've encountered kabucha in various circles. I've never heard it called booch. Maybe it's an East Coast thing, but uh, you know, we, in New York we just don't have time to, to say kombucha, so we just abbreviate everything. But you, that's not your word? I bet, you know, hey, might be my word, you know. I, I, I know I, once I started saying it and we started using it, I started seeing it more, you know, but hey, that's... How many words in your life are you like, hey, I invented that. But it kind of guesses something, which I think kombucha, the people that are aware of it, it is kind of like this hippie, you know, health tonic. But that's a little alienating for maybe a more mainstream audience. And so I'm wondering if booch is not a way to kind of make it a little more accessible. Yeah, no, that was a part of the whole package, actually. Kombucha Man, booch, Kombucha Brooklyn. The whole project was taking this, you know, I love hippies, but that hippie dippy drink and turning it into something for the whole world. For the Verizon guys who work out my gym to the 30-year-old mom in Park Slope working out at a, at a yoga studio. For those who don't know, because a lot of people don't know, 
What, what is kombucha? Kombucha is simply a, a fermented tea. It's a ferment made up of bacteria and yeast. So we all drink wine and beer. It's a yeast ferment. Uh, kimchi, sauerkraut is a bacterial ferment. Uh, kombucha is a ferment made up of yeast and bacteria. A lot of people come to kombucha largely for probiotics, which we find in yogurt and kimchi and other stuff. Um, and that's good because it kind of heals your stomach. You need those things living in your kind of stomach to help you break things down. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean uh, to be totally frank, um, the majority of the probiotics don't really make it to your system. The prebiotics really are where all the magic happens. It's where you get the high. It makes you feel better after you've had a hard, hardcore night drinking. It's really the magic of kombucha are all those acids. The magic of kombucha, you know, the word kombucha, there's a lot of mysticism surrounding all this stuff. But there are some scientific principles at work. I'm trying to figure out that line. Yeah, the, the line is, is very fuzzy. You know, I've, I've read, there's about 100 books on kombucha, and there's countless websites. Most people believe it says kombucha in a bottle, it's kombucha, and it's going to be awesome for you. Where the reality is, yes, it's going to be awesome for you, but there's a big spectrum to that. Uh, what are the, the cultures producing? What type of teas used? You're getting a whole different spectrum of what's found. Didn't the, like, the FDA get involved two years back with the, that larger kombucha brand because... There is such a wide spectrum of what the heck is happening in those bottles, well, and it can turn to alcohol. And I call it the alcohol issue of 010. Um, that really changed the whole business around. The kombucha industry is a brand new one. Uh, last year, we all kind of found out that what we were doing was producing a little bit more alcohol than we were, uh, we were able to produce. And we didn't know what to do. We thought it was all over because we were producing above the legal limit. So is there alcohol in kombucha now, bottom line? Bottom line, there can be, and that's something that Stores really need to be on top of their vendors. I mean, if it's an alcoholic booch, as long as it's labeled as such and sold as such, I think that's wonderful. Well, is that going to happen? Is that going to be the next frontier? Yeah, people are actually doing it. I mean, really, at the end of the day, we're talking about small amounts of alcohol. So you're getting, you know, that little bit of alcohol, that little bit of sugar, and that little bit of caffeine. I mean, do you want any more in life, you know? Well, that's what I'm saying. So isn't that part of it? Like, it's just a, a variation on Coca-Cola, which also was caffeine and sugar coordinated in a certain way, right? I mean, so there is this mysticism around it, but ultimately it's just a refreshing beverage that delivers some things that get your system going. Well, you, I, I love to give people our kombucha because it's alcohol-free, and yet it still gives you that high. And you get that high based off those prebiotics. There's a natural high based off kombucha. So. Do you come down? You don't have a crash. No, you don't have... How is this? This is like the, the high they've been telling us for years. Like, you never come down. This seems... Your system... Yeah, I mean, you can really get jacked up on booch. It's no joke. So, uh, Brendan, your skepticism, was it alleviated at all? Well, I don't know if I go in for the magic, but I do like tea, and I do like bitter things. All right. Surprise. So you, uh, you'll sip it on occasion. I sip it on occasion. It has not replaced the original kombucha in my life, Tangare. <laughs> which has both pro and pre booze Sure, healing properties <laughs> to the max. Well, I don't take no stuff. I'm jumping Jack Flash. The bad guys try to do me in, but I'm too smart for that. And that's the Dinner Party download for this week, folks. Special thanks to Jackson Musker, Robbie Carmen, Tracy Samuelson, and Susie Lechtenberg. And if you enjoyed the show, we'd appreciate it if you took a moment and shared your thoughts in the comments section of iTunes. Please. That will help with our world takeover plans. Thank yes. you. <laughs> uh, now we leave you with One for the Road, a song to listen to on your way to or returning from this weekend's dinner parties. The song is called Skeletons, but that's less important than the band's name, which is Dale Earnhardt, Jr. Jr. A little NASCAR name for uh, John C. Riley. Bon appétit, appétit. I guess I've been bruised if we were to speak plain. Every bruise that comes to flesh may 
makes its mark on the brain. You say it's always been and always will be. And anything you say has already been said a million times. Brendan Francis Noonan. And I'm Rico Caliano. Thanks for listening. Nice show. Yeah. Um, I agree. What are, you, what are your plans tonight? I think I'm just going to loaf around, mm-hmm. crash on my couch, play Caw of Duty. Wait a second. Hey, Rico, it's uh, Jackson in the booth. There's a phone call for you. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs>